Well, if anybody hasn't uh, said it to you already, Happy New Year's. They're glad that you guys are here. Um, I want to take a, a quick survey here. Um, how many of you have made some sort of New Year's resolution? Just raise your hand. Got a few people here. Okay, you know, about maybe 30% of the congregation. All right. You know, whether it's long-term, you know, things that we want to do or, or, or short-term, my question is, how many of you already have broken your, your, your New Year's resolution? Yeah, we got some that, that are honest here. Um, another question. Of those of you that made commitments and a resolution, you know, something you wanted to do in the new year, how many were spiritual in nature? How many of these things had to do with your Christian faith? Okay. A few. Okay. Um, well, I want to take our time this first Sunday of 2020. I want to challenge you in this area of your faith. You know, the, the saying goes, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. And I want to challenge you. I want to hone in, you know, something to, 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 to just stimulate change in your spiritual walk with Christ this week, that in 2021, when we come together, that you would look to, and that you would see that you are different in your relationship with Christ, that it has grown, that there is a greater depth than there was a year ago. So let me, let me start with an illustration. Um, last year, um, I had an opportunity with a number of my, the boys, uh, to go to a Minnesota Viking football game pro football game. We, get, we drove up to Minneapolis, had a wonderful time. Um, all around us when we went to that game, you know, we're Viking fans, all around us, everybody was dressed in, in purple. You know, we were dressed in purple and, and you know, we we're all coming for the, the same purpose to cheer on the team that we love. And we cheered together when something bad happened, a bad play or something, you know, we moaned and groaned together and, you know, we we high-fived each other when, when the Vikings scored. We had a tremendous time with all these people, you know, that were sitting around us. Great time, you know. But I got to tell you, they weren't the kind of relationships that you would call upon when your life gets slammed, you know, when you have a major event in your life. I mean, can you see this happening? You know, hey, Bob, you know, this is Larry. Remember last year? You, you sat two seats away from me during the Viking game, and, you know, we cheered together, we high-fived, and, you know, we, we got all excited. You know, well, I'm really going through some tough times in my family right now, and I needed someone to talk to. What do you mean, how did I get this number? You know, how did I locate you? Yeah, that's probably the reaction you'd get. No, you, when you're going through something in your life, which we all go through, when this happens you call someone that you've developed a deep relationship with. Someone who maybe knows you, you know, and you know them and you trust them, you've developed trust. You've talked and you've shared, you've developed a relationship. Well, I think about this and, you know, for a lot of Christians, we are only interacting with God through these big events. You know, we interact with God through church. Or we interact with God through worship, through singing. I'm not bemoaning any of those things. Or we interact with God through external events, by serving him, by doing something for God. And quite often, we have never gone beyond 
that point. So when the music isn't playing or when we're, you know, not around God's people, when it's just God and you, we find that there's kind of an uneasiness. You know, we kind of got to fill the quiet up. You know, stay busy. And often, I think, many of you would attest that God seems far away in those moments when we're not doing something for God or, you know, we got everybody else around us lifting us up. And distance from God is a frightening thing if you're a Christian. Because I have found, and I think it's biblically supported, that God will never adjust his agenda to fit ours. God has a sovereign will. God has a, a, a moving in this world and in your life. And he will not speed up his pace, you know, to try to catch us. We need to slow down in order often to recover our walk with him. Or maybe, you know, we, we need to speed up, you know, to, to catch up to what he is moving in and he is doing. God is not going to scream or shout over the busyness and the noise and the clamor of our lives. He expects us to seek quietness with him where we can hear his voice and he can speak to us. God is not going to work within the complicated framework of our schedules. We need to adapt to his schedule. And we speak all the time within the church, we speak of godliness. You know, godliness, it means a God-likeness, becoming like God, becoming like his son, Jesus Christ. Godliness, God-likeness is all about us adapting our lives to God's. Godliness, I believe, is still our desire, isn't it? If you're a believer in Christ, is that not your desire to have a godliness or we could say a Christ-likeness? I mean, sometimes we're just kind of trying to fit God to our lifestyle instead of trying to fit our life and change our life to fit God, a God-likeness. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, if you are truly a Christian, God is working in your life to bring a godliness, a a Christ-likeness. Until the day that you stand before Jesus Christ, either he returns or, you know, he calls us home to be with him. If you're a Christian, he is committed to bringing you closer to him. You know, that he's begun that good work in you and he's going to bring it to completion in your life. The question is, is that still our desire as Christians? Your, your desire, is it to, you know, as you think about your faith, is this year to become more like Jesus Christ, to have a godliness? Well, the question is, how do busy people living a fast-paced, complicated lives, facing relentless pressures upon our time, how do we consistently walk with God? Well, I want to tell you, whatever that answer is going to be, I can guarantee you that it's going to involve change. Our lives need to change. Now, let me give you some examples. Um, remember the church of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians was written to that church? 
It's so cool. In Ephesians chapter 6, 24, um, you know, Paul is writing to the, the, the church at Ephesus, and he gets towards the end of his letter, and he says, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. I mean, what a way for Paul to describe this church. Here is a church that had an incorruptible love for Christ. I mean, their love was just pure. It was, it was so genuine. But 30 years later, 30 years after Paul wrote these words, we find that the church at Ephesus was still very orthodox. They had the right doctrine. They had the right truth. But you remember, Christ sends a series of seven letters to different churches. One of those letters was to the church at Ephesus. And he says this in Revelations chapter 2, 4. He says, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. At one point, you could talk about these believers and said, they just had this incorruptible love, pure, genuine. 30 years later, suddenly, they've left their first love. What do you do? What's the answer? It says, therefore, it goes on, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Repent, it means change directions. Turn around and go the other direction. And if you look at your life, if you look at your walk with Christ right now, and you're, you're seeing that, boy, it, you know, that intimacy isn't there, that, that, that depth, it hasn't been happening. Well, one of the things we need to do is we need to change direction. You know, repent. Change direction. Paul, he's writing to one of his mentors. He's a young man named Timothy. He's, he's a young pastor in 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says this. He says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of hypocrisy, of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron. So he's warning Timothy as a pastor, there's going to be false prophets, there are going to be false priorities coming, all are going to be attacking, you know, our walk with God. And then he comes down just about two or three verses later, and he says in 1 Timothy 4, 6, he says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant in Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of sound doctrine, <coughs> excuse me, and of sound doctrine, which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. This is whole promises for this present life and also for the life to come. We zero in on those words, folks. Discipline your life for godliness. It doesn't just happen. There is a, a discipline about what we need to be doing as believers towards godliness. Now, Timothy, who Paul was writing these words to, Timothy is a young pastor. Um, who can tell me what church he pastored? Anybody know? Anybody know what church Timothy pastored? He pastored the church at Ephesus. Isn't that interesting? Same church that received the book of Ephesus that Paul wrote and says, 
And these believers, you have an incorruptible love, a deep love for Jesus Christ. 30 years later, though, you know, they had left their first love. I'm not sure how long Timothy was their pastor, but early on, they were warned about falling into the trap of becoming religious instead of becoming godly. You know, where you talk religious talk, you do religious activities, you have religious Bible studies. Kind of like the warning that you got from in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, where it says, we all know that we, have, we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. I mean, Paul puts the emphasis on the relationship, the depth, the intimacy with God, not just on what we know, or we could add, or just what we do. And folks, it is so easy for us to get religious instead of getting godly. It's so easy for us to get this knowledge and get this great pedigree, this great resume of things that you have done for God. And the problem with being religious and being godly is, is they often look the same. They use the same phrases. You know, they speak about their faith. They both serve. You know, they both can, you know, go to God's word. But the problem is one is just going through the motions while the other's motions are connected to an intimate love for God. The desperate need today is not to have a greater number of intelligent Christians or talented Christians. Our desperate need today is to have deep Christians, to have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, I ask you, 2020, this year, do you want depth or do you want a surface relationship with Christ? Kind of just skipping off, you know, the top. Do you want to have substance or do you want to kind of have speed? You want to have fulfillment in your walk with God or just to talk about fulfillment in your walk with God? You want to learn to think theologically and biblically or you just want to be entertained with theological and biblical stories? And we, we've said this before often. It's not our environment that makes us deep. It's not about going to Sunday school. It's not about going to church you know, or, or, or being involved in church or hanging at church. Those aren't automatic, instant triggers that make us deep and make us godly. I mean, we, again, we've said, you know, that's like, you know, living out in a garage and thinking that makes you a car. It doesn't happen just because you're there. It's easy to become religious without becoming godly. And that's a danger that each and us as Christians face. A word I want to direct you to in pursuing intimacy and a, and a depth with God is the word wisdom. Okay, I want to talk about wisdom for just a moment. We need wisdom, not just knowledge. Wisdom speaks about depth. It goes beyond just knowing something to taking the truth that God has given you and applying it and begin to live that life and see what it looks like, you know, directly, flesh and blood. Right, let me give you some biblical examples of the difference between just having knowledge and the difference that wisdom would bring to your life and to your circumstances. 
Um, we all know the story about Job, how Satan went before God and, and, you know, God said, you know, consider my servant Job and Satan said, oh, yeah, right. The only reason he serves you is because you have your protective hand upon him. You know, touch him. You know, take those things away and, you know, he, he's not going to be there for you, God. And so God gives him permission to test Job. And we know of all sorts of things. He, he loses his family, his children. He loses his home. He loses his wealth. You know, all of it is taken away. And, and at the bottom, when the, when the bottom is dropped out of his life, Job expresses the death of wisdom. He says in Job chapter 23, he says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast, fast to his path. I have kept his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Folks, that's depth. I mean, that's taking his circumstances and connecting it with his faith. And God is there, and because of that relationship they have, I mean, he can say, you know, I'm going to come forth as gold. You know, I'm going to hold fast to the path. I'm going to keep his ways. I'm not going to turn aside. I'm not going to depart from the commands that he has given me. That's depth. That's, that's what wisdom gets you. Not just knowledge of knowing what God says. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You not you understand all those ways. Acknowledge him. He'll direct your path, you know, and all things work together for good. You know, it's one thing to know it. Wisdom allows us to know it. You know, to feel it, to live it, to experience it. Apostle, the Apostle Paul had a similar circumstance in his life. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, he says concerning this, he's talking, you'll see about one in a minute here. He says, this I implore, excuse me, uh, 12, 7, I'm sorry. Um, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So let's, folks, read between the lines. There is something in Paul's life that God has purposely brought into his life. And it, we don't know exactly what it is. Some believe it was his eyesight that Paul was going blind because a lot of his letters towards the end, he has people that actually write them down for him as he's dictating them. He, um, so many believe he's losing his eyesight, that this is the thorn in his side. But he, he, he sees what has happened in his life, and he's taking it to God. And he sees it, you know, as, as, as something that God has given him so that he wouldn't exalt himself. I mean, he's got all these tremendous privileges and blessings in his life, you know, God is speaking to him and guiding him and directing him constantly. God is doing miracles through his hands. And he said, God is keeping, giving me this just to keep me centered. He goes on in verse 8, he says, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. In other words, you know, it isn't something that Paul enjoyed. Three times he prayed, God, take this away. I mean, here's Paul. He prayed for other people and they were healed. He's praying for himself and and, and nothing is happening. Here's wisdom, folks. Verse 9. And God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I mean, that is just taking all these truths that God has given us and applying them to the circumstances of our lives and say, God, you have allowed this, you have brought this to shape me and to to bring me closer to you, to make me more dependent on you. And that's depth. That's wisdom at work. Rather than throw a pity party, Paul chooses to embrace his afflictions so that he might experience even more of the power of Jesus Christ. And wisdom, wisdom takes us below the surface of what we're going through. Wisdom helps us walk with God whether I feel good about it or not. Whether God gives me a yes or a no to the prayers that I lift up to him. Wisdom takes us to that level of a depth in my relationship. Intimacy with God. God-likeness. To be like God. It's a discipline. Because this is something that is not just going to happen in your life this year. You can pick up a lot of knowledge this upcoming year. But wisdom takes purposeful action on our part to go to God and go to his word. We're going to talk about that in just a moment here. Um, you know, we re, we, remember we said that growth is about change. Folks, if you do the same thing, if you keep doing the same thing you've been doing, you're going to keep getting the same results. If you want to grow, if you want your life to be different, if you want how you handle circumstances to be different, it's going to involve some change. And change takes discipline. It's something we do, we're purposeful. So I want to give you some actions. I want to give you some disciplines to take towards a depth with God. And I'm not going to give you anything new that you don't already know. But hopefully I'll give it in a way that, you know, our our light bulbs can go on and say, I need to do this. My desire is, as we go away from here, that we will begin to make some commitments to God in these areas for a depth of relationship. I know we are all, you know, we live in a new an age where we're always looking for the new gimmick, the new thing, and the, you know, these things aren't new. God's not, you know, well, there's a new way to become intimate with God. There's a new way to get deeper in our faith. No, there isn't. There's a way that God has given it, and I want to talk to you about it, okay? First of all, we need to remember that it's called our walk with Christ because it's not a run. It's something that takes time, Okay? We need to change how we perceive our devotions, our prayer time, just even our whole mindset of ignorant of God so that our faith helps us cope with life. It's not just another responsibility that we've got to fit in. I've got to fit in my prayer time. I've got to fit in my devotions. I've got to fit in getting you know, time to church and rush out of here and you know, get off to something else. You know, and, and this applies to so many areas. It applies to our prayer life. Well, let's talk about that first. You know, you may look at your life and you say, man, sometimes I am just too busy to pray. Well, it should, should be that I'm too busy not to pray. That the more my life gets chaotic, the more the bottom seems to be falling out of my life, those should be the times, the triggers that say, man, I need to pray. I need to get away. I need to talk to God. You know, this is a mindset that takes a spiritual action, prayer, and moves it from a responsibility to something that energizes us. Something that strengthens us, strengthens our discipline to him. And and let me just say this 
bluntly here. We need to stop asking God for so many things in our prayer time. And we need to put more time into talking with God and listening to God. Now someone's going to say, well, what about 1 Peter 5, 7? It says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Folks, that, me, that verse does not mean God is saying, give me your grocery list of things that you want me to do in your life. When he's talking about casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for you, there's a, there's a lot of depth in that statement. You know, it means that God is inviting you to open up your life to him, to what you are, what's going on in your life. You know, the decisions that you're making. Giving those things to him. Again, you wouldn't go to, out to lunch with a friend. And, you know, you sit down and you start in, hey, Bob, could you get me a new job? I'm also not feeling very well right now. Can you please heal me? And kind of move through that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that with a friend. Now, you may bring those things up. You may sit there while you're talking and having lunch and you're taking that time together. You may talk about struggles that you're having at work and struggles that you're having financially. And, and as you talk about them, you know, they talk back and, and you go back and forth. You might talk about some struggles, you know, physically that you're going through, your health issues that you're going through, but you're talking back and forth. And somehow you get up from that lunch after you're talking to someone that you just didn't give them your grocery list of needs, lay it out there for them, but you interacted with them. You, somehow you get up, you feel better. And we, we need to do that more. We need to talk with God. Don't talk at him. And we do a lot of talking at God. We need to talk with him. And this is a discipline because I'm going to guess for most of us that this is a change for most of us. We're going to have to discipline ourselves to not spend 90% of our prayers asking God for something. Prayer is supposed to be one of the most intimate times in our relationship with God. It is key to our fellowship with God. You know, it, it, it's not that much different than how we fellowship with each other. We get our depth of relationship as we talk, as we open up, and we hear about the other person, and it's a back and forth in a relationship. And prayer is supposed to be like that. But so often, again, we, 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 we talk to God at God. We don't talk with him. So we need to prioritize times of prayer that are not rushed. And, and don't speak like you're pulling up to a drive through restaurant. You know, I've, I've shared this before, you know. I'll have a Big Mac, large fries, and, you know, and a Coke. You know, you stop in your prayer. God, you know, give me health, wealth, prosperity, and could you supersize that, you know. I mean, that's a lot of times how we pray to God. When was the last time you had a good, long talk with God? You know, very personal, and you talked to him about your life, and you prayed through the many things that, that are going on in your life. When was the last time that you did that? Second thing I want to emphasize is making a consistent time in your day, in your week, to be in God's word. You know, the neat thing about it is when we read the Bible, I'm allowing God to control the conversation. When I read the Bible, he's talking and I'm listening. I'm really focused here. And the greatest gift that I give God is my time. I give him myself. I give him my time. And at some point, you know, there's no other way to say it. You need to look at your day. You need to look at your week and say, I'm going to give God this time first for him to speak to me. 
The rest of my day, it might be hectic, it might be stressful, but my time with God is not going to be like that. It's going to be different. And it's some, again, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same results. But, you know, we just need to step back, whether it means getting up a half hour earlier, whether it means, you know, at our lunch hour, going out into our car and sitting quietly for an hour and reading God's word and speaking and praying, conversing with him back and forth. We need to, we need to make a commitment to doing this. And third thing along the same lines of reading God's word, we need to discipline ourselves to ask the right questions and apply God's given answers. That's kind of taking this knowledge as we read the Bible into wisdom and to how we live it and how it applies to my life. Let me give you an example of this. And I, I've, I've taken a really easy verse here. Um, Romans 12, verse 1 says this. We'll put this up there. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay, this is a very familiar verse to us. Um, we need to read this asking questions. What is God saying to me? Not personally, not just generally, you know, like as in I'm preparing a lesson to tell other people what God is saying. But what is God saying to me here? What is God asking me to do? Yeah, I'd look at this verse. I'd say, well, he wants me to worship him by giving my life as an offering to him. And I know what an offering is. You know, they're offering, you know, they sacrificed. They gave their all, you know, when they were put on that altar. He wants us to do that. He wants you to do that. He wants me to do that. He goes on, it must be holy, meaning he wants that life that I'm giving to him to be set apart, to be different. Something that my goal is to be acceptable to God. You know, how God wants my life, not how I want my life to be. You know, it's under his conditions. And he says, I should do this because of God's mercies to me. And you say, well, what are God's mercies to me? Well, you know, again, going a little bit deeper, you know, for 11 chapters, he's laid out the mercies of God. This is kind of a summary. The therefore, because of all that I've told you that God has done for you, I urge you, brethren, Present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of, 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 of worship. I do this because of God's mercy in the light of all that God has done for me. You know, this, that's my only natural response, okay? Second thing, ask, you know, what has God done then in my life personally? You know, it's easy to read in the book of Romans what God has done generally for believers, but what has he done for you personally? Personally, think about your salvation, Personally, think about that God has accepted you. He has called you and brought you into his family, that you are a child of his. Think about that hope that is yours ahead. Think about times that he has walked with you faithfully and he has been there. You know, those are the mercies of God he wants you to reflect upon. And then, you know, on this, I'd ask myself the question, how can I give myself to him then today? How can I do this? How can I live this placing myself on the altar. How can I do this today? When I go back in there to work or when I drive to work and, or in my family or, or whatever meetings I have, how can I literally do this? Now, obviously, I picked a very easy verse. But when you read God's word, stop when he says something. You know, this is what brings depth. This is what brings wisdom. When you take what God has said in his word 
and you say, what does this look like for Larry Marvel today? What does it look like for my life? What does it look like for me as a, you know, a husband, a father, you know, a pastor? What does it look like for me, you know, you know, going and talking to my neighbor, whatever it might be? And, and all of these things that we talk about, prayer, time in God's word, time to ask questions of ourselves and, and, and apply these things, these things all take discipline. It takes action. It takes change. And so again, the question is, are we living a disciplined life for God? Do we desire a God-likeness? Do we desire to be like Jesus Christ? A life that prioritizes time to walk with God. Not walk ahead of him or walk behind him, but walk with God. Are you growing deeper in your intimacy with God? Philippians 3, chapter 7, uh, verses 7 and 8. It says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things as loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There was nothing greater in this life. There is no higher calling than to know the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To know my Savior. This is my prayer for us for 2020, for this year. Is Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death to be like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for just your desire to know us in a deep, intimate way. Forgive me for the allowing myself to become so preoccupied and it seems often the first thing that goes is my relationship with you and that I cut that time. God, I confess that to you. I know what you want of my life. And I pray that you will give me an unrest, Father. Keep me, drawing me to you. Help me to make the changes in my life, in my walk with you, to put those elements there that will draw me closer to you this year. God, it's going to be different for each and every one of us here. But I pray that we will not leave here, Lord. You know, go throughout this week, Lord, without spending some time and making these disciplines before you. Thank you, God. Thank you that we don't do this in our own power and strength. You've given us, when we know you as our Lord and Savior, you've given us the Holy Spirit that empowers us, that is constantly drawing us to you. Help me to, to not squelch the Holy Spirit's drawing, but, Father, to just lay my life on that altar before you. Thank you, in thy son's name we pray.